Welcome to the August 20th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, and the sermon is entitled, As They Went, delivered today by Pastor Clyde Moyer, Jr. Each week, I share prayer concerns with our pastors and deacons, and I normally have 80 to 100 names of people, a lot, and sometimes much, up to as much as 150. These are people that have issues of health or whatever, runs the whole spectrum of people's troubles. It's actually overwhelming to sit and think that you're supposed to be helping these folks and you're like, how do I do that? Number one, the numbers don't work. So you have to do what we should do in the first place is trust God to figure out how to get it done. We pastors and deacons spend probably 85, 90% of their time when they're working with the church helping somebody who's having a problem. We're listening to something or we're maybe giving some advice or whatever, but the point is we're here for the hurting people. That's what we're supposed to be. One of the things that happens, though, is you realize that, you know, this troubled thing on a Christian is kind of normal. You know, I don't know where I got the idea, but I had some dumb idea that once I got saved, my troubles were over because I belonged to Jesus. Once I got saved, my troubles started. Satan was not happy. I felt like I had a target right between my eyes. You find that everything you try to do, he throws a hitch in. I should have known it. Look at Job chapter 5, verse 7. says, yet man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. And Jesus' ministry was the same. People flocked to him because they needed his help. He was the only one they knew that had the power to do anything. And we're all in the same position. And we all come to him for the same reason. How many of us, and I'm going to say I do, would admit that oftentimes it feels like we can't break through quite to God. I don't know if you've ever visited anyone in prison or not, but if you have, you know that when you talk to them, you sit on one side of a plexiglass wall, and they're on the other side of the plexiglass wall, and even though you're talking to them, it's almost like it doesn't even matter. You just can't get through. A lot of times Christians find out that that's how they feel when they're going through their own troubles. Well, why is that? Hopefully we're going to deal with that this morning. Are we praying incorrectly? Or are there spiritual principles we haven't figured out yet? Usually with me, it's something I'm not doing that I already knew to do. An example of a promise where God gives us a task and promises to pick up the rest if we do what we're supposed to is 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now that's what's called a conditional promise. This is the easy one. If somebody says, if you do this and I'll do that, that's simple. If you do what you're supposed to, they're going to do what they're supposed to. When God gives you a promise like that, that's all you do. You do the part that you're supposed to and trust him for the rest. However, that doesn't work with all types of promises. This morning, the entire sermon is going to come out of Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. However, I'm going to do the verse or two at a time. Verses 11 and 12 say, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers who stood afar off. Now leprosy is referred to 55 times in the Old Testament, 13 in the New. And it still exists. You don't hear it very often, but it does still exist. Leprosy symptoms start in the skin with the peripheral nervous system, then spreads to other parts such as the hands, feet, face, and earlobes. Lepers experience disfigurement of the skin and bones, twisting of the limbs, curling of the fingers to form a characteristic claw-type hand. Facial changes include thickening of the outer ear and collapsing of the nose. Tumor-like growth may form on the skin, 
and then the respiratory tract and the optic nerve may be damaged. There is a loss of pain completely because of the nerve damage they're going through. So because they can't feel it when it hurts, it's very easy to seriously injure yourself. You cut a finger off with a saw, you would not even feel it. Uh, it's a horrible disease, and the gradual onset of it and the deformities seem to make it worse. And yet these 10 people were so desperate that they left where the lepers were supposed to stay, risked getting, I don't nobody would have done too much to them because they wouldn't have touched them. But having some kind of punishment given to them for being out of the area they were allotted, they got to as close to Jesus as the law allowed. And the synagogue told you how close that was. And they started yelling for him. Now, I can relate to that. If you've ever been desperate, you'll do what it takes to get to the Lord. <clears throat> Luke 17, uh, verses 11 and 12, talk about these 10 men coming out. But the, the problem is, they're not sure what kind of reception they're going to get. Uh, these days, if you go to the doctors, I've been to the emergency room a couple times when I'm not sure what reception I was going to. In fact, I never got any one time. We got them left. Uh, these people didn't know. They're the lowest of the low in this society because they're called unclean. And also the problem was is that the Jewish religious leaders said if you had leprosy, that meant you were a sinner, that you had done something to cause it, and this was God's punishment on you. People even believed that you could get the disease if you breathed the same air as a leper. They had to wear certain types of clothes, and believe it or not, bells. And as they walked through the, the area near, near people, they had to cry, unclean, unclean, if anybody got close to them. There's no way to be quiet and get through anywhere if you've got to scream that and look like this. Synagogue abs absolutely was no help to them. They didn't want anything to do with them. Isn't it interesting when a church or the religious organization doesn't want to deal with the hard things people deal with? There's an old preacher joke, and it's not, it's not funny, but it, it was church work would be fun if it wasn't for the people. Well, church work is the people. I've had people tell me that you have to keep a wall between you and the people you're preaching to or t ministering to. You can't get closely involved with all these people because the stress will kill you. Well, I'm going to tell you, you can do that if you want to, but you're not a pastor. A pastor is loving his people. You have to truly love the people you're serving. You have to reach out and be willing to be vulnerable. You have to be honest and open, warts and all, to all of them. If you don't do that, you will not be accepted in, and they will not tell you the deep issues that they have because they don't trust you to deal with them. They think you're pretending to be perfect when you've got as many problems as, as all of us do. Everybody is a broken pot. The only difference is where it's sitting. Lepers were absolutely separate from society as outcasts. For all practical purposes, were viewed as being dead to the rest of society. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. If you even touched a leper accidentally, you became spiritually and physically unclean by Levitical law. You had to be separated from the people. You had to be watched for a certain period of time. People even believed you could get the disease if you got close to them with anything. Rejected by society and the church, lepers were left strictly alone. Can you say lonely? No one was there to help them. The only people that would get near were other lepers. Luke 17, 13 says, And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Here's a spiritual principle here. The first spiritual principle was determination to get to Jesus. We're going to go through five. Determination to get to Jesus. If you are not sincere about finding the Lord, you will not find him. 
You have to be willing to put your head down and pray and take as long as it takes. How long do you pray till an answer comes? Till it comes. Because if, if you look at an example in Daniel, Daniel set his face like flint to the Lord and prayed for something to come and nothing happened. Nothing for 20 days. How many of you would pray for something for 20 days before it happens? If you're not desperate, you won't do this. Angel showed up on the 21st day and gave him the answer. And it was amazing because if you want to know why the angel had so much trouble getting there, he said, I couldn't make it through. The angels of Satan were blocking between me and you. And Michael, the archangel, had to be sent as, as a mission to come and fight his way through and hold it open so I could come through and go back. That's happening around us all the time. We don't see it, but there is a literal warfare between angels that belong to God and the demons that belong to Satan. So sometimes... Something takes a long time to get an answer because of a really good reason. In fact, if you go to that part of Daniel and look at it closely, you will find that God sent this answer to Daniel the instant, the very instant that Daniel set his face to pray. Is there a support verse? Go to God for help, which is the second principle. First one is to be determined to get there. The second one is go to the right place. If you go to the right place, you'll find something. You go to the wrong place, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. You're not going to get anything you want. Fall before God in prayer and ask him to heal you. Is there a support verse for that? Certainly. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And of course, Jesus had compassion on them. Luke 17, 14 says, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went... They were cleansed, outcast to society, diseased with no hope. And he says, fine, come on over here. We're going to talk. If you've ever read anything about Mother Teresa, when she worked in some of the places in India, she would sit with the people that were in the worst shape with things that she could have caught, and she just did it anyway. That's faith. It's also showing the compassion of God. God doesn't care how bad you are. He wants to bring you to him as quickly as possible. Uh, so Jesus tells them, you've been healed. Uh, he says, go on and go to the temple and let them see that. And so they start down the road. They're outcasts, but they're told to go down the road. Now, here's an important point. Well, let me read 15 and 16. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. You, I want you to picture the situation. Jesus is out on a main road there somewhere. He's walking, maybe had some of his friends with him, maybe some of the disciples were with him, it doesn't say. These 10 lepers were where they shouldn't have been. They're miserably diseased, probably not long to live. Uh, you can't live like that but a certain amount of years. And they're screaming across, would you do something? He doesn't go, wait a minute, let me get my gloves or my mask or my hand cleaner. He just walks over there and takes care of them. And he said, you're healed. Go on down the road, go, go to the, the way you were in the, in the Jewish society was if you were healed, you went to the synagogue and did a certain sacrifice for, for the fact that God had healed you. So he tells them to go that. Now he says you're healed, nothing showed up. This is the big part here. They didn't look healed. The way this verse reads is when they went down the road, somewhere between where Jesus was in the synagogue, maybe a mile or two, all of a sudden they realized they were all clean. They were all healed. What happens next is kind of an amazing thing. Nine of them are tickled their heel. They don't go back to Jesus at all. One man. 
turned around and went back <clears throat> to thank Jesus, and that man was a Samaritan. Third spiritual principle is, I don't care what you're in, thank the Lord and praise him for the answer before it comes. Get in the word and you say, well, I can't see it. I don't care. I don't care what you feel like. I don't care what it looks like. Trust the word of God and you'll come through it. If you back off from trusting the word of God, you will not. You will wallow in that from now on until you're ready. So thank the Lord and praise him before he answers. Is there a support verse for that thought? There is. First Chronicles 16:29 says, "Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness." Luke 17:17 17, 17 through 19 says, "And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? Or where are the nine? There are not found that returned to give glory to God save this stranger." And He said. Arise and go your way, thy faith hath made you whole. We think that it was a little ways walk back, so this man was determined to tell Jesus thank you. He wasn't even guaranteed that Jesus was going to still be there. When he left him, Jesus had been walking down the road going somewhere, but he was determined to thank the Lord. I want to tell you, if you've ever been in the ministry or visited people in uh, hospitals or gone to wherever people in real trouble, maybe people had a, a, a car accident, um, it's really a little intimidating when you go and somebody says, well, they're going to die, just, but I need you to come. And you're like, what do I do? But you go anyway. When God heals some of these people, there is a constant thing that we will hear. Preacher, I will be in church on Sunday. They don't. I would say of all the people that have told me that, 95% never came. They were healed. God blessed them. They were in trouble. He showed up. He did exactly what we prayed for him to do. And they just said, man, I'm glad that's over. And went home and had, went back to doing what they were normally doing. One man came back. I want to tell you, just as a suggestion, that is also what happens when you see people come to the altar and say, I just got saved. And then nothing happens. Nothing changes. They quit coming. Did they get saved? I can't say because I can't see their heart, but my feeling is absolutely not. If you commit to something, it's going to show. If any of you have ever played on a ball team or sung in a choir or been on some kind of a committee or something, you quit showing up, they're going to quit and you come. They're going to have you go home. You have to show up. I heard one pastor say one time that ministry 90% was 90% just showing up. Keep coming. You've got to be determined to keep coming. Now, the thing that's even more remarkable about this one guy that came back and did the right thing is he was a Samaritan. Now, I don't think we can genuinely easily uh, grasp the severity of the racial discrimination between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans originated from the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Levi. You say, well, that's not a problem. They're all tribes of Israel. But in 722 B.C., Assyria conquered Israel and brought in Gentile colonists from surrounding lands. The Jews began to date and intermarry with Gentiles, and the resulting children would be called Samaritans, although the Jews called them half-breeds or dogs. Kind of tells you something. They absolutely had no place for them. They would not do anything with them. That explains if you, the, the good Samaritan story. 
That explains what that's about. Religious Jewish people went by and left that guy in the ditch. The Samaritan showed up, took care of his wounds, put him up and paid for it, and gave extra money to the person to take take care of him until he uh, was able to leave. And he said, if I owe you any more, I'll do it when I come back through. A Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritans so great that instead of using the direct road from Galilee to Jerusalem, which ran through Samaria, the Jews would follow the Jordan River to Jericho, climb the steep heights of the Jericho Road to Jerusalem. Not only was that way hotter and steeper, it was 23 miles further. They would cost themselves 23 miles of walking in rough area just to not be near a Samaritan. That's an unbelievable fact, and yet it's true. What is the fourth spiritual principle? I don't care who you are. I don't care what your problems are. You cannot conceive or tell me of anything bad enough that will keep God from loving you. <clears throat> is there a support verse for that? Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I like that. You know, whosoever means me. I get to be part of that one. Just a quick recap of the four uh, spiritual principles. Determination to get to God. Go to the right place. Go to God in prayer and ask him to heal you. Praise him and thank him for what he's doing even before he does it. Which is, if you think about it, praise for God's answer before you see the answer is maybe the purest form of faith. You're not only trusting him to do it, you're thanking him for what he's done and he hadn't done it yet. That's faith. It doesn't matter who we are. That's the fourth one. You can come no matter who you are, where you came from. I don't care what color you are or what your uh, financial status is. You can come. Now, those four principles, you could have said, I could, you could just stay at home and I already know those. They're very obvious. I don't think very many people would not have known them anyway. But the last principle in my mind is likely the key that unlocks the answers that the first four set you up for. If you take a look back at verse 14, there are three small words that are huge in their importance. When Jesus told the 10 lepers that they were healed, I get the impression, and I believe this, that as I said a moment ago, nobody looked healed. They just and they were told to go to the synagogue and thank and do the do a, a offering for the things that they had gotten that they hadn't got yet. And so they left. And if you look, it says they were healed as they went. Well, what does that mean? It means that Hebrews is right when it states that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If somebody confirms to you this is going to happen, that's not faith. If you can see it, it's not faith. If you can figure it out, it's not faith. God chooses to work in the realm of nobody else can get the credit. When I answer you, it's going to be clear where it comes from. You've got to be willing to accept that. Uh, I think there's a spiritual concept here that is very important. Uh, as they went was in the King James. Let me read you three other translations just so it, it sinks in. The Phillips translation, which a lot of people used back in the 50s, uh, says, as they went on their way. Good speed, you don't hear of it much, but that's a good translation, says, and as they went, they were cured. And the New Testament in modern speech says, and while on their way to do this, 
All of them point out one thing. The healing happened when they were moving in the direction of where they were told to go. You follow me? Have any of you, well, you don't have to raise your hand. I know a lot of you, like myself, have had knee surgery. The doctor tells you when you come out of knee surgery, this is going to hurt. Well, I knew that. And he says, I'm going to give you these exercises, and you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to do the exercise and you'll be fine, or you're not going to do the exercises because they're hard and they hurt, and your leg will freeze up, and we'll have to break the bones to redo that. You have a choice. You have a choice. And we, have, we can choose anything we want, but we got to get, we're going to get the result of the consequence of the choice we made. If we go the first four spiritual principles and say, we got that, Lord, help me do this, and he says, go do that, and you don't do it, you just gave away the whole thing. People don't give prizes to people that ran in the race. They give prizes to people that ran the race, the whole thing. Finishing is crucial. Why would God make us wait? I know why he makes me wait. He makes me wait to see if I'm serious or not. I don't like waiting. Uh, In fact, I'm really impatient. I'm fidgety. I've got all the issues like that. Somebody told me if I held a glass of milk long enough, it turned into a milkshake. Uh, It is what it is. I am seriously clumsy because I knock stuff over. But God has been teaching me and started a long time ago. The only way to hear me is to be still and listen. How much of the time, do you have any friends that don't answer? Because I know you do. Everybody does. Anybody got a friend in here that you are, and not, not that they're in here, they say we're just careful. A friend that is a friend to you that when you talk to them, they talk 96% of the time or more. It's like trying to run through a fan without touching the blade to get a word in there. Think about what you do when you pray. Same thing. If you pray and don't give God time to answer, what good did it do? Dear Lord, I got this problem. I got to do something about it. And I need you really quick and I need a big thing. And I thank you, God, I'm going down to watch TV now. Go ahead and take care of it. Sit and listen. And it takes a while. You have to invest yourself. So we are healed as we go, as we put feet in the prayers. We have to set our mind like flint towards getting to God and ask him to heal us. We need to thank him and praise him in advance. Ignore Satan when he tells you God would never heal anyone like you. And then finally begin to live as though you've already received the answer. Walk in faith that you have what is coming before you get it. Well, what if God doesn't send it? Then he'll tell you why. He'll show you another door. The point is who you let have the control. Now, I am, I'm glad Susan's not here because she'd probably yell amen. I am the worst control freak you've ever met. If you go to my office, my pencils are lined up right with each other. I've got every book right where it goes. I kept my desk so clean when Pastor Mike was here that sometimes Carrie Joy would go through and just twist a book around, you know, sideways and just leave it because they knew I was going to come in and straighten it even before I sat down. That's how bad I am. That is a horrible tendency to have with faith. I have no control over anything. I prove it every day. You know what worry actually is? You're scared that God's going to do something you don't want, so you want enough control to make him do what you do want. That's what it is. Can you make God do anything? 
I've tried that. It didn't work for me. Uh, the point of the matter is, again, give him the control. It won't do you any good to sit and listen if you're not willing to accept what he says. Here's the thing I don't like about this. In order for me to get the answer that I need from God, I have to be willing for him to tell me something I don't want to know. And he usually does. We see ourselves as a lot better than we actually are. Hebrews is right. Meditation is bringing a scripture to the forefront of your mind and thinking about it until you get all the truth out of it. I don't know how many of you were raised on a farm or in the country, but if you've ever seen a, a cow lying down chewing its cud, they store that in a stomach and bring it back up, and they will sit there on that ground and chew that thing until they have gotten every speck of nutrient that they need out of that piece, and only then will they pass it along. That's what meditation is. You go get with God, bring him the deal, get your scripture that he's told you about, and you sit there and chew the cud on that thing for as long as it takes. Again, how long should you pray till you get the answer? What if I don't get it today? We'll pray tomorrow. Keep praying. Clearly, these guys were healed only once they started to walk. Why do people not get guidance and answers from the Lord, even though the Bible promises we will? So does that mean God lies? No, we don't fulfill our half of it. You've got to believe that God is, and he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. If you don't believe that, it'll show up real quick, because what will happen is you'll pray for a little while and get tired, and something else comes along to frustrate you, and that makes it worse. And Satan begins to pile these little things on, and you just, well, I guess it just doesn't work for me. It works for anybody that does what he asks you to do. But you've got to believe he's God. You've got to believe that he is, and you've got to believe that he will answer people that call on him. That's the first step. Then you've got to believe he's going to give you the answer that you need. Then you have to believe and accept the fact that you're going to accept the answer he gives, even if it's not the one you wanted. And now you're in business. Something will happen. Is it really that important to have that kind of faith? Well, 10 lepers were he weren't healed until they went. Naaman wasn't healed of leprosy until he went to the Jordan. Elisha would not have received a double portion of God's blessings uh, uh, than Elijah had unless he had followed Elijah closely. He had to see Elijah go up in the chariot or he wouldn't get it. The prodigal son wasn't forgiven and restored until he stood up, came to himself, and went home. Noah wasn't saved from the flood until he built an ark and got in it. And Peter would have never found out that with Jesus he could walk on water unless he'd gotten out of the boat. I, I get so tickled. And there are so many sermons and so many lessons that have been taught on stupid Peter. All he had to do was keep his eyes on, on Jesus and he wouldn't have sunk. Okay, that's true. What's the other half of the coin? Nobody else even got out of the boat. They just sat in there. Let's see if he sinks and we'll try to decide something after that. If he floats, we'll go. That's not faith. Is there a scripture principle for this? I just mentioned it a moment ago, Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. And now we come to it. Anybody in here got something they need solved? Now, you don't have to answer. I know it's all of us. I do. If you want to, you can come pray with me down here or Nathan up top. 
You can come kneel at the altar and not pray with anybody but God. In my mind, that kind of seems like the smartest thing to do. Um, but honest to Pete, you can go home with your problem. That's fine. That's your choice. But you're going to live with the consequence. Or you can give it to the Lord and get, get the, either the answer now or start on the answer right while you're here. If you're not saved, don't count on God answering your prayers at all. He only takes care of his children. All the people in the world are not God's children. Only saved people are God's children. The rest of them are just God's creations. They serve Satan. We must choose to believe regardless of the circumstances. We must choose to stand fast regardless of how we feel. We must choose to reject the lies that Satan throws at us, and he's good at it. Have you ever noticed that the lies he throws at you are things that have bothered you throughout your life? It's not new to you. You recognize the thing coming over the hill. We must choose to go believing firmly that our, de our deliverance is already here, and you're getting ready to walk into it. I would hope that maybe today you'd like to make a change. I'm going to pray, and uh, the invitation to him will be going. And again, I'll be down front. Nathan will be upstairs. We'll pray with you. Be happy to pray with you. Spend as much time as you want, or come just talk to him by yourself. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to speak on your behalf. Take my stumbling words and put your truth in it. Help people decide, Father, to leave problems here today and not take them out the door. I ask that you would make the deliverances clear to these people who come. Pray that in Jesus' name, and we'll give you all the praise for it. In Christ's name, amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.